Okay, this is part two on how we bully children without even realizing it. You remember we talked about part one, uh, violence, physical abuse, uh, the self-ownership of children, our non-ownership of them, um, our leaving a position of superiority with regards to children and why that's so important, abandoning the use of punishments and rewards of labels, both positive and negative, connection to obedience, which again comes from our thinking that the child has the the splitter in its eye when really we have the beam, Um, considerations of culture and society from a point of view of what it really allows us to become and how we're socialized and indoctrinated to fit into the mold and how we don't even realize it. And what we're doing most often when we apply most conventional child-rearing advice, quote-unquote, is working to destroy the natural energy of and spontaneity and creativity of the child and to fit it into the mold, which is rapidly being demonstrated is not such a good idea because even the mold is not working how people thought it would work into this current generation and time. Okay, now I want to talk about a few other ways we bully children and negatively influence them without even knowing it. The first one is media. So by the time a child's 18 years old, the child has witnessed 17,500 murders on TV. Virtually every media choice that we make, and it doesn't really matter which choices we make, because almost everything that is created by the popular culture is invigorated with one primary myth. And that myth is the myth of force, the myth of violence, the myth of domination. So it doesn't matter whether you're watching Saturday morning cartoons or whether you're watching Terminator. The way to solve problems, according to almost all of our entertainment, is for the good guy to either beat up or kill the bad guy. Now, I can give you lots of statistics about this, but regardless of what happens, good guy beats up bad guy, they start again, good guy kills bad guy, they start again next time with the good guy and the bad guy separate again, and the bad guys often mysteriously resurrected, and they go at it again, sort of an eternal battle. And the fundamental premise behind almost all of our entertainment, our culture, is this competition and this battle. And it doesn't matter even when you're looking, even if you're looking at sports, the premise is someone's going to be better, someone's going to be worse. Um, In any story, someone's right, someone else is wrong. And instead of sitting down, discussing their differences, finding ways to resolve and uh, get everyone's needs met, it's the, the, the bad guy is shown as violent, and thus the good guy is justified when he starts using massive amounts of force 
in the same situation. But when you look at it, the difference between the good guys and the bad guys is minimal in terms of what they actually do physically to try and get their way or solve the problem. So everything's built around conflict in our media, and all the ways that the conflicts are shown to be resolved are basically violent with force. I'll make you, I'll, I'll stop you, or I'll make you do the right thing. Very seldom is cooperation shown to be the solution for the problem. And um, this is also something you can think about in your marriage, your partnership, in your connection with others. How do you solve problems there? Do you use guilt, shame, uh, threats, punishments, rewards, or blame to try and get your way? Do you label? Or do you quietly discuss what needs to be done so that everyone's needs can be met and work from there? I think not one in a hundred, probably not one in a thousand people has any idea about how to do that. So even if you think you have a relatively peaceful existence and, and partnership, discuss this. And uh, applying principles of violence will cause damage both to you and the person that you're in interaction with in a violent way and your children. So I guess the message is um, limit or severely censor the type of media that children are being exposed to, entertained with, etc. And make sure the lessons are those that you would approve of in terms of problem solving. Now, interestingly enough, left to their own devices, children will tend to seek out media that don't have these themes. Um, and also many of the games that are available on the internet now. It's interesting, things like Farmville and SimCity, a lot of games are coming up, and even cooperative games where you're going and slaying the dragon, but still they're cooperative multiplayer games where people are working together. And it's more interesting now, it seems to be becoming much more interesting for people to find ways to cooperate um, to grow crops, to design a city, to solve issues together rather than to find out new ways to kill the bad guy, which has been done so many times it's just getting boring by this point. So, let's look at education as a way that you bully your child. Now, at some point, most parents say, okay, now it's time to go to kindergarten, time to go to first grade, time to go to preschool. And the child really doesn't want to go. And basically the message is you have to go and be locked in this room with a bunch of children who are approximately your age with two or three caretakers to watch what's going on, prison guards more or less, and be subjected to whoever is there in the environment regardless of whether they're good for you or not. So uh, the very act of forcing someone go, to go to school in any, at any age is an act of force. It's an act of violence. Um, enforced with punishment, blame, guilt, all of these things. 
And once you're there and surrounded by people your own age, you may find one or two children with whom you don't want to interact, but you don't really have a choice because they're there. So you need to act in a way that will get the least attention from the bullies, the stronger bullies, and um, who are damaged themselves, of course, and find a way to fit into this social construct. Well, this is not normal. This is not healthy. This is not. This is this is an abnormal, dysfunctional environment. Uh, schools. I've seen schools in the United States that don't have elementary schools that have no windows and just fluorescent lighting inside them. And you're asking a seven, eight, nine-year-old child to sit still for a large portion of the day in a room with no windows and fluorescent lighting. Um, if this isn't abuse, I don't know what is. I hate to label things as abuse, so I guess I'll say if, if this isn't bullying, I don't know what is. Um, and a couple other things about education. You're in, a, you're in a place where there is someone at the top who's an authority. And if you want to do well, you have to please the authority. If you want the, the good marks, the good grades, the, uh, which are first positive reinforcement on an emotional level and then later become symbols for financial reward later in life, you have to please the authority. And whatever the, author- the authority says is right is right. You have no option to say, well, I disagree with that or I read something else or whatever. Whatever is on the test is what is right. And you're expected to regurgitate it. Again, very authoritarian, uh, uses all of the methods of violence we talked about, punishment, reward, labeling, right? Your grade is a label, a judgment of someone else over you who is, quote, better than you, who knows more than you about things. When actually we realize all the great breakthroughs in the world came from someone who, or many of them came from someone who wasn't actually in the area, they weren't a scientist in the area of that science. They didn't have anything to lose by turning everything upside down. And those that learn to regurgitate and slowly do research to come up with new solutions to problems, they're very seldom the ones who apply a new way of thinking and solve a problem in a completely different way. But school, uh, you also put in competition. Competition is not natural. You know, they talk, we talk about survival of the fittest, competition for resources in the natural world. And uh, in some ways that is true. However, um, everything is in a balance. And there is far more cooperation than competition, uh, interspecies, between species, in the natural world. So what we do is we introduce a world where there can only be, we grade on the curve. Sometimes there can only be one best student and there's competition. Who's the smartest? Who's the brightest? We separate people from each other instead of saying, what are your gifts and what are your gifts and how can you apply them to our society and how can you apply your gifts to our society? No, we say this person is the best and they're going to have the best type of job. And the best type of job is a doctor or a lawyer or now maybe a Wall Street wizard. And um, everyone who isn't as intelligent, well, they can go become this and that. But, you know, there's competition, there's separation. You're not you're taught to work alone, not together. Because that working together is called cheating, yet once you get in the real world, working together is the way to 
solve more powerfully anything that needs to be solved. And so um, you're discouraged from working together. There's the competition. Cooperation is discouraged in problem solving. Creativity is discouraged in terms of coming up with new solutions or um, doing something that might upset the authority or the status quo. People are compared to each other as part of that competition. Uh, you know, it's an authoritarian environment. I mean, I can't think of a more unhealthy place to put children than in a typical school environment. And it does an, and, and, and it's also an incredible waste of time. For, uh, for students who are interested in something that isn't covered by the curriculum, maybe they will be the best uh, bird expert in the world left to their own devices. A friend of mine was talking about his his 10-year-old girl who is being homeschooled, reading his college textbooks about birds and completely ignoring geometry. Well, what's wrong with that? She's obviously left to, if she was in a normal school, she'd have to learn the geometry. She'd get bad grades at it. She'd feel bad about herself for getting the bad grades. And then she'd never apply it in the rest of her life. But left to her own devices, she's studying in depth about birds and she can become an expert about birds by the time she's 15 or 20 and can apply this in a career in a way that will actually benefit herself and society as an abstract concept much, much more. So there's a tremendous amount of wasted time, wasted energy, memorizing useless, uh, first of all, false information, because as a state-run schools, uh, they're filled with state indoctrination. And second of all, simply wrong information um, by the, by, uh, I remember my college textbooks talking about additives and preservatives, and there was a question on the test, what percentage of food would not be available in the supermarket without additives and preservatives? 10, 30, 85%. And the answer was 85%, and that was in the textbook, and that's what we had to memorize, and that's what we had to spit out. And the assumption is, well, if you don't have additives and preservatives, you know, there's going to be no food, we're all going to die, when in reality, that's what causes cancer, that's what's killing us. But the big companies that make the added, the food and the additives and the preservatives, obviously, and this is, I believe, chemistry class, have some influence about what is coming into the chemistry textbook. And of course, big corporations and big government who are dependent on um, happy tax-paying slaves, wage slaves, and uh, tax cattle will be creating, and um, yeah, I'm just going to throw these words in there and talk about them later, will be creating materials that tell the children that the state is the solution and forces the solution and corporations are good. So education is a, is a terrible method of bullying um, how you relate at home, whether you work together to solve problems and um, ask the children what their feeling is about things. And children are very intuitive. They're very, they can't explain very often why they want something or how they feel about something. But the feelings are still very strong. And their connection to... The universe is very unsullied by all the concepts that we are taught. So very often they will have a deeper level of understanding or intuition about topics than we do or that we believe that they can have. 
It's very important to include children on de- in decisions about the family, in decisions about what they want to do, and uh, not to overrule them simply because we, quote, know more than they do. They're not lower forms of life. And this is something that I wanted to say is a form of of disrespect to the child or bullying of the child, and that is not attuning to their refined energies. And this is a very complex topic, but feeling, getting into a children's world when I'm with children and I sit down on the floor with them and I just start mirroring them, I just start doing what they're doing, my mind can leave that space of categorization, qualification, is it, you know, is it sensible? Should I be, you know, laying on the floor with my head looking upside down at the world, right? This is something that just in normal society, there's there's thousands of taboos that I simply wouldn't do when I have guests, when I'm in public. It just doesn't happen. But if I abandon that and do what the child's doing, I can enter their mindset. And their mindset is a mindset of endless creativity and endless truth. There's There's nothing that is instantly judged as bad by the child and its behavior. We try it, we'll do this, whatever, you know? And uh, I wouldn't even have the idea to do these things unless I'm connecting to the energy of the child and how it feels. And when I start to do these things and, and watch how he or she responds, then I can get on the same wavelength as the child, even without speaking, And this is something that you can really try. Just try mirroring the child. Try coming out of your adult persona, personality, and view about how the world should be. And enter into the child's world. Just start doing what they're doing, exactly what they're doing. Don't think about it. Don't judge it. Just copy it. Write back to them and see what happens with sit on the floor Play the play with the Legos. See what happens to your energy. See what happens to your mind. See what happens to your thinking and your thought. It's a form of meditation. It's a way of entering into the here and now. And if your experience is like mine, well, make your experience. So try it out. Don't don't be in a different world than the child. Don't condescend. Right? We talk to children. We talk to children in little bitty children. Yeah, we're talking to them like they're a lower life form, like they're dogs or something. You don't need to condescend. You don't need to shield them from your emotions, from what's going on. You can be real with children just like you can be real with adults. You may have to use a bit of vocabulary that's slightly more simple. But children feel it anyway. You can't hide things from children. They know what's going on with you emotionally because they don't have any intellectual barriers or emotional emotionally repressed material that will make them believe lies that everything's fine when everything isn't fine. So don't hide from them. Just be real with them. Whether you feel like playing or don't feel like playing or whatever it is, you don't have to pretend. You don't have to condescend. In fact, it's damaging. It's um, insulting. They're not less intelligent than you are because they haven't learned some things yet. They just simply haven't learned some things yet. But they're a full human from day one. Now, what needs do children have that need to be taken care of? Well, 
the needs of children are very, very similar to the needs of adults. And I'll just read the needs list that I have here from, from Marshall Rosenberg again. And you can see how much this applies and ways in which you can better help your children meet their needs. So, number one, sustenance, food, air, water, shelter. Number two, safety and protection. Number three, love. Number four, empathy and presence. Number five, rest, recreation, and play. Number six, community. Number seven, creativity. Number eight, autonomy and freedom. And number nine, meaning, purpose, spirituality. One more time, the needs apply to children just like they apply to adults. Sustenance, food, air, water, shelter. Number two, safety, protection. Number three, love. Number four, empathy and presence. Number five, rest, recreation, and play. Number six, community. Number seven, creativity. Number eight, autonomy and freedom. And number nine, meaning, purpose, or spirituality. So your children have these needs as well. And it's not just about the basics, food, whatever, and just making sure they have enough food so they can grow up, but helping them meet all these needs. And these needs will naturally come out in the time that the child wants these needs to be met for creativity, etc. Yeah, they will have the desire for this or desire for that. It may change in every moment. And that's the great thing about children. They're cognizant of the moment. And they don't do a lot of things simply because, well, that's what the clock says we have to do now, which is what we force them into as soon as they enter public school. Oh, another comment about school. You learn on the, on the hour when the bell goes off to stop whatever you're doing and do something else. It's, it's Pavlovian training. Instead of allowing them to deeply go into a subject as long as they want, um, we interrupt them constantly. And the bell ringing is simply preparing them, was preparing uh, workers for shifts at the factory um, 20 years later, which, of course, is a bit different now, but that's, that's how it was originally. So that's another thing about um, school that is bullying. When a child shows up on this planet, you don't know what their interests will be. You don't know whether they're going to be Picasso or Bobby Fischer or Einstein or Da Vinci or be the best permaculture farmer. <laughs> best, that's so funny. Um, we separate people, good, better, best. But be an amazing uh, permaculture farmer, be an orinth ornithologist, whatever that word is, the bird expert. You don't know. And what you can do is assist children with as many experiences as possible to feel where it is they would like to go with their lives. Now, our schooling system works this way, that you can go to school for 12 years and then maybe add another eight years on if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer. And then you actually start doing the job that you've been studying for. And then you can realize after two weeks, I hate this, I didn't want to do this. But you're invested so deeply in it, you sort of have to do it, don't you? There's no need for that. You can start doing things in a society at a level which you're interested in, an apprentice in one or many things, with many different people and find the depth of your interest and what your contribution can be without having to commit to it uh, for 20 years and then decide, oh, well, maybe that was the wrong decision. So give your children the opportunity 
to do many, many different things, to see many different people, maybe many different ways of life, if you're brave enough, uh, experience different cultures, different realities, different ways of looking at the world, different types of people, and let watch what they're interested in and really give them the resources around that which they're interested in so they can deeply get into it. You know, a child isn't going to be able to earn all the money for a piano and buy one, probably, at the age of four, yet may be very interested. So how can you assist them in getting into that interest, if that's really what interests them, or dance, or whatever it may be, right? So, or athletics, whatever whatever the interest is. And give children, we've got sort of a limited amount of things that we expose children to, and we kind of shield them from the real world, but they will be interested in the real world. You know, the children, when you buy toys for them, and I'm sitting in a room surrounded with toys right now, they play with the toys a little bit, but what's interesting, of course, is what mommy and daddy are doing. So you pull out your iPhone, and the kids are there. You know, they're they're looking over my shoulder. They want to try it. They want to forget these children's toys. They're interested in what you're interested in. They're interested in reality. And you don't need to sugarcoat it and give them something on a much more, oh, actually, intelligence-insulting level. You can confront them with reality and with your toys and with the things that interest you. Sure, maybe you have to teach them how to do some things, but you know, you see three-year-olds and four-year-olds using iPads and iPhones now. Um, it's just absolutely unbelievable. My, uh, I know five-year-olds who can go on the internet and type in the address for the game he wants to play. It's just amazing, and they can really find out what they want to do. They can move towards it and just help them to continue moving towards it. Don't don't put roadblocks in their way by um, insulting their intelligence with children's things. Give them what they want at the level that they're interested in and help them develop in whatever direction it is they're choosing for the moment. And they can choose 10 different directions in 10 different years, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there is a way to help them do it at each level and each step. And if there's a problem, you know, if the child wants a new instrument every year and you can't afford a new instrument every year, well, then you can talk to the child about it. You can, you know, find alternative ways. You can visit pawn shops. There's, there's many different ways to make things possible that we're very lacking creativity to solve, but the children will help us solve them if we allow them to use their creativity. And when we start asking a few other people, how can I help my child learn more about uh, Indian culture if I'm in the middle of Kansas, right? There'll be ways to do it. There'll be ways to do whatever is interesting for your child and help them follow their natural curiosity. You know, a child starts out saying why more than any other word four, five, six, everything's why. Then they go into school and information is stuffed into them, force-fed. And then we get out of school and most people never open a book again because of all the negative associations with all the information that's been forced in them instead of allowing them to creatively research and enjoy the beautiful knowledge, infinite knowledge, human knowledge that's here on the planet and now accessible via Wikipedia and YouTube and iTunes U and all of these college courses online and everything else, we force them to learn things and people learn to hate learning and they learn to stop asking questions and they learn to stop applying their creativity 
because that got them into trouble when they were in school. Reading the extra book the teacher didn't assign and coming up with points the teacher hasn't thought about doesn't win you any points when you're in school. But it shouldn't need to win you, but if you're at home with your parents learning these things, it doesn't need to win you any points or lose you any points. So no one's invested in being the expert that knows more than you. So just allow children to follow that creativity. Stop bullying. Stop putting yourself above them. Get onto their level. They're, you will see in 20 years that they're equal with you in terms of capabilities, mentally, um, intellectually. They will know more than you about certain topics. doesn't matter what you do. So don't treat them. Don't condescend now. You don't need to. It doesn't help them. And it's very much work for you to, to, quote, lower your intelligence and level to try and deal with a child who you think is somehow can't handle real life. Children can handle real life. They can handle real life and reality. They can handle um, grandparents. They can handle 80-year-olds. They can handle new babies with a bit of supervision. Children can handle real life. And for tens of thousands of years, we didn't lock children together in one room and all the same age, so they couldn't learn from anyone a little bit older from them, much older from them. They only had one adult role model and all of their, and all of their peers to learn from. No, they were learning from everyone in the culture, in the village, in the society at all times. And they were free to do what they wanted, and yet they did learn how to subsist, which our children don't know now. And we can't put any given child who's been through 12 years of schooling on a plot of land and have them be self-sufficient. No, they're trained in dependency. They have no idea about how to use land, about how to grow their own food, about how to build their own shelter. Um, And if you're not going to be in the economy, you can at least... Be do it. You can at least be subsistent with a bit of land and hardly anything else, right? So our economy: twenty uh, fifty-three percent of college graduates are unemployed or under underemployed, under the age of twenty-five at the moment, and they have not, no useful skill to give to the world. We don't let them do anything. They can't even work on construction because that requires special training that they don't have. So they end up in the service economy. We don't need any more service. We need to take we need to shrink the economy. We need to have people be self-sufficient. And every time you grow your own food, the GDP shrinks. But the point is not that we need money to solve every problem. The point is that you can be completely self-sufficient with a bit of education. And that, you know, in a tribe of Africa with the Native Americans, they were self-sufficient when they were 15, 16, 17 years old. And now we have many very educated, in-debt youth who have no ability, no idea about how to sustain themselves in the natural world besides going to the store and buying things, which require money, which they can't earn because they haven't learned any skills through all the education which we have forced upon them, which would allow them to earn it. So the violence in society must stop. The place it can stop is the family. So listen to this podcast, listen to the previous one, check out Stefan Molyneux's work. And um, there's lots and lots of work about conscious parenting, uh, nonviolent communication. You can find more information about that at cnvc.org or compassionate communication or nonviolent communication, Marshall Rosenberg. Uh, Maybe I'll put up a few links to that on the podcast as well.
And um, I wish you the very best in the sacred responsibility that you might have of dealing with a child and helping a child, being there for a child to help it reach its complete power and his or her strength and uh, that you can benefit from everything the child has to offer you instead of thinking you just have to give in one way because that's definitely not true. So I'm hoping we can reintegrate children into our society and start treating them as full people with full rights uh, instead of condescending and looking down upon them and watch as they develop and enjoy that and then and then enjoy deep friendships with them as they learn things and contribute to our lives in ways that we can't even dream about. So I'm sure this has been somewhat controversial for many of us, and it's not easy to understand what's pre presented, but um, I would encourage you to look for people who are also dedicated to the non-aggression principle, non-violence in raising children, peaceful parenting, compassionate parenting. These are all keywords that you can use to look in Google on Facebook for groups and people who are trying to implement these principles in a very violent world. And I'll talk more about that in another podcast. But trying to implement peaceful principles in a nonviolent world when raising children. And once you find these groups, you can talk to them about how they implement these things or their, their experiences with these things. And you'll find there's a whole new world out there of peaceful parenting and filled with beautiful experiences. So I wish you that very much. So thank you for listening. This has been Ryan Orak at byraba.com. If there's anything you want to talk about, comment, criticize, then you can shoot me a mail or Google Ryan Orak and find me on Facebook.